ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Could mice have access to virtual reality goggles before you? Yes, this week on Download This Show, using virtual reality headsets on mice. Are there particular things you can learn from mice in the metaverse? Guess we're going to find out. Also on the show, as we use physical keys less and technology more to get into our cars, it's given birth to a whole new industry of car braking technology and the artificial intelligence video tool that has sent shockwaves throughout the web. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show and please forgive me, I have lost my voice a little bit, but we have excellent guests for you this week. Uh, Digital strategist Meg Coffey, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. And freelance technology journalist and reviewer Alex Kidman from alexreviewstech.com, welcome back. Nice to be here. So, I feel like it's one of the greatest cliches of this show in 2024 that I started with. Well, interesting things happened with artificial intelligence this week. (laughs) But actually, in the last few weeks, we've had a few major developments with artificial intelligence. And (laughs) so slightly, ever so slightly caught me by surprise. I want to go through them individually, but I suppose the really big one is something called Sora. Now, Sora comes from the makers of ChatGPT and Dali. For people that haven't seen or heard of it before and seeing and hearing it, is kind of the thing. Alex, introduce me to Sora. So where ChatGPT will take a text prompt and write your school essay for you, <laughs> and I believe Not it's Dali. Not that we Dali, encourage it. <laughs> I, I believe it's Dali, as in Salvador, will do that with <laughs> images. Sora is text-to-video. So you say, I want a video of Mark Fennell doing a 6-7-20 off the side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And it will presumably create one of those for you up to a minute long. So at the moment, it's not available to everybody. But what is notable is that the videos that have been released have sent people that make video for a living into a, well, let's call it a tiz. Meg, why has it generated such a reaction with just a handful of videos that aren't necessarily available to the public just yet? Tiz was the word I was going to use as well. Oh, see, this is why we're friends. <laughs> the uh, the videos, the cat waking the grumpy owner, the golden retriever, the nana making pasta, those are the ones that I've seen, or the couple walking through the cherry blossoms. Yeah. The, those seem to be the main ones that were released to the public. And I think why everybody got worried was because all of a sudden you had entered five words like, can I have a video of a grumpy cat waking up an owner? And all of a sudden you had like a very realistic video of a cat waking up an owner. I must say like when we started looking at AI, like particularly with the the image generation, even just a year ago, Meg, like I feel like it was very easy to go, oh, well, look, the hands are a bit weird. The face is a bit weird. These videos are freakishly, freakishly lifelike, aren't they? Yeah. So that's the thing. Now, the cat had five legs. Right? And the Nana making the pasta did have weird hands and the spoon disappeared. Okay, I bet her eyesight is what we just learned there. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, you have to really go back and you really do have to look at these things. And that's the thing. But this, what is so absolutely frightening is that this is day one. The very first videos that were released were almost perfect. 
right? Like we're good enough to fool a lot of people. So the technology hadn't even been perfected. Like this is bare basic 101 beta, and this is what we're getting. And it just is blowing people's minds. Because if that's what we're getting without any manipulation of it, I guess you want to say, or any extras, like can you imagine where we're at at day, day seven, you know, week two, week wherever we're at now, the videos are only going to get better and better and better. And of course, People are freaking out by the visuals that they're seeing. I mean, are we freaking out? <laughs> I feel like this is the alternate title for the show. Are we freaking out because, Alex, it's likely to put gazillions of people out of their, out of jobs? Or are we freaking out because of the implications for what it means for, oh, I don't know, ability to identify reality? Look, I think it's it's more the latter than the former for the moment. I mean, I, I have my doubts in that what they've shown is really, really impressive, don't get me wrong, but it's also what they wanted to show to the market. Uh, I'm sure there's quite a few of that cat where it's got three heads or its jaw suddenly falls off or, or <laughs> similar because all of these AI models work on that kind of iterative learning basis and they are, uh, OpenAI are the first to kind of say, hey, look, Sora doesn't really understand physics just yet. Uh, you can see that there's a video they've actually got of some galleons floating around in a cup of coffee, which is one of those wonderful, absurd things. But you look at the ships and you realise, no, wait a minute, this is like they've taken the video of almost certainly some sea, not some coffee, because it's bucking around like crazy. The boats are not quite right either. But I think, as Meg was saying, it's, it's that thing of when we get to day seven, when we get to year seven, that's where we start to worry about, hey, is what I'm seeing actually legit? I think one of the things that was really notable about the launch of Sora, as I think somewhat distinct from the launch of other recent artificial intelligence services, has been how upfront they have been about its limitations, about, uh, you know, that it's limited in its understanding of physics. And I think some of that is, is what you're describing here is, you know, it's, if you know what you're looking for, there are some interesting holes in, in these imagery. But at the end of the day, they, they are genuinely quite impressive. The fact that they are so comfortable, like advertising its limitations, is that is that strategy, Alex? Given given they must have known people's reaction to this would have been a sharp intake of breath and a whoa. Look, it absolutely is, but. Uh what we haven't seen as well as all the other problems that we've seen with AI. I mean, what happens when this thing starts hallucinating? What happens when Sora or the technology behind Sora jumps the open AI fence and starts being used without the kind of controls that open AI is talking about putting in there to avoid a lot of problematic material being produced? One thing that did stand out to me, Meg, is um, people listening to this... Often when you're watching a television show and they've got a, an establishing shot of a place, uh, like a you know like a drone shot, and in a lot of the factual shows you watch on television, it's filled with what we call stock photography. So uh, shots that you buy quite cheaply from a service like Getty and things like that. Um, it, one of the observations that's been made is this is ready-made for that. Like the, the relatively cheap shots you need to fill out making a television show or an advertising campaign, uh, I feel like that... like. If Getty's not interested in buying this, they should be pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, I guess look at how drones replaced helicopters for those shots. Mm. Um, you know, this is now, I guess, the new the new technology replacing the drone. Um, but I think one of the conversations that I had with my team, with one of the video editors around all of this, um, you know, I said, like, does this bother you? And he said, no, because there's no soul in it. 
And I think that that's what stuck with me. And I think, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, the people, but I think this actually relates to, to the landscape shots as well. When you look at these generated things, there is no soul in it. There isn't the, the layered, um, the layers of life that are in them. And I don't think that, I mean, yes, there will be the people that need to shoot the things on the cheap. And, you know, when you're storyboarding or when you're needing to do things very fast and very simply that, that I think that this AI image generation will be fantastic for. But I think if we're talking about the masterpieces, if we're talking about pieces of art and things that are going to be, you know, uh, long lasting, I, in my heart, you know, I'm ever the optimist in my heart. I believe, no, this type of stuff will not replace those long shots. We will still want that real life stock imagery. I'm not sure it doesn't have soul. <laughs> this is <laughs> the first time I've ever actually really felt when I looked at a picture, I was like, yeah, that I could drop that into an edit and people really, I mean, you, I mean, you, you do it all. You are making these things all the time, you know, I think it's probably more likely to say, or more accurate to say, I should say, that it's got hijacked soul because like any AI thing, it's been trained on existing data. So as that question of artistic intent, well, if it's seen the artistic intent in a million other establishing drone shots, that's what it's building on. That's what it already knows. There was already the soul in that video, wasn't there? Mm, hijacked soul. Are you running a folk album for me, Alex? <laughs> that's very good. Uh, look, staying on the uh, artificial intelligence, theme, but moving away from Sora, Google, of course, have their own version of what you'd say ChatGPT, which used to be known as Bard. It's now called Gemini. And uh, it is actually, it actually reaches a little bit further than than ChatGPT. It also includes images. And images, Meg, kind of got them into trouble in the last couple of days, didn't they? Yeah. Used to include images, we should say. (laughs) (laughs) So what it did was it had its image generator. um, And just like the other ones, you could put a text prompt in there and say, please create something for me. However, the images that Gemini were creating, people were saying that they were a little bit too far on, on the spectrum. So what people were putting in were things like, create me the founding fathers. And that as in the founding fathers of the United States. And what they returned were people of all different skin tones. And the reason that it returned all different types of skin tones is because what Gemini has sort of explained is that we feel that when you ask for a selection of people, you mean a diverse selection of people. And so the the limits that we put on these things are to return a diverse selection of people. What we didn't put on was was the parameters of certain restrictions like the founding fathers are probably not a diverse selection of people and are probably all the same type skin tone. So when this photo of the U.S. Founding Fathers came back and they were not all light skin toned, quite a few people got angry. And cue the headlines of uh, Gemini's too woke, uh, which is, you know, like (laughs) you could have clocked it with an egg timer. Um, I mean, it's it's an intriguing set of circumstances that have brought them to this stage. And I, I think one of the things that's probably worth pointing out, which is that on one level, I think it is to be applauded that Google, after many, many years, has actually, they're showing they're working in a way. They're showing how they've tried to work in diversity programs into their technology, which is, it's a hard thing to do. And I think uh, an episode like this shows uh, ways in which it is complex. What I find intriguing, though, is in response to this, Alex, they've essentially shut down <laughs> their ability to generate certain kinds of things. Can you walk me through what the, what the consequences of that decision have been? 
Yeah, so the, they, they conceded that they'd missed the mark in their own words and so they've pulled the feature offline for the time being while they work out if there is a solution for this particular problem because, as you say, it's it's this challenge between wanting to present diversity, which is absolutely a thing that they should be doing, but also staying within the bounds of historical accuracy. I, for one, was shocked to discover that uh, George Washington was not, in fact, an African-American woman. But uh, the issue here comes down to that, again, to that AI problem of, of hallucinating and only knowing the information that you've, that you've fed it. But, of course, this then becomes a massive global data set of terms because it's not just people's names and what images it can derive from those names. It's grouping names, affiliation names. There's all sorts of other cultural sensitivities to bring to bear. It's a very, very complicated problem. And in one sense, it's laudable that they're trying to solve it. I suspect there's going to be a few more trips on the way to actually getting it absolutely right in every circumstance. Maybe they got confused and they thought the Founding Fathers is the characters from Hamilton, in which case, it, you know, it would be totally justified. There you go. True. I mean, we, we often talk about how technology is, is not separate from us. It, it represents our own biases. And what we see here is a large technology company who have actually, you know, to their credit, tried to navigate those biases in interesting ways and <laughs> found themselves in a situation which, you know, humans find themselves in all the time where sometimes the result is not accurate or it doesn't satisfy everybody. And I think that's a, I think it's actually a really intriguing moment where it actually exposes a challenge that exists for technology everywhere, which is how do you, how do you accurately represent humanity without necessarily represent, representing humanity's biases and still being accurate? It's, it's, it's a really intriguing moment. I just, I just, the fact that they took it all off <laughs> that, those, yeah. those those particular functions offline. It feels like, I, I so rarely say this on the show, but it feels almost like an overreaction, Meg. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just, look, I get it. And I get that, you know, I'm the optimist. So I say things and I think that only good things are going to happen out of the, what I say, but someone else could say it and it's a completely different meaning, right? Like, like I describe what I want in an image, but somebody else could mean something completely different by that image. And Gemini just went, you know what? It's all too hard. And until we can get this fixed, we're just not going to let anyone have any images. I'll take the pessimist position here if I can. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I tend to think people generally with these systems are awful. And if they hadn't taken it offline, people would have gone, well, okay, if it's getting that wrong, let's make some really, like those were accidentally offensive, I think we can agree. Yeah. Let's, but people are going to go, let's make some really awful imagery because, hey, this thing's going to let me do it. I, I actually think, uh, I don't think it was an overreaction at all. I think it was, a, it, was a, it was a sensible and measured response. They haven't said, to the best of my knowledge, this is never coming back. They're simply saying, look, we've got to, we've got to pull it down offline. we got to fix it. Tinker with it. Yeah, yeah bash it with a spanner a bit and and it will be back and hopefully <laughs> not make those mistakes again. Otherwise, it gets more beatings with the spanner. Wow, it's the most violent episode of Download the Show we've had in a while. Uh, you are listening to the deeply violent voice of Alex Kidman, uh, freelance technology journalist and digital strategist Meg Coffey. Uh, Mark Fennell is my name, or rather the empty husk of Mark Fennell. Uh, why, Alex Kidman, are they making virtual reality headsets for mice to explain... Because lab mice get really, really bored is the answer I wish I could give. 
So what's happening? These are, these are experiments into how mouse brains work and how the neurons in mouse brains work because they're a reasonably sort of analogue for human brains. And VR and this kind of thing has been used with mice for years, but largely through what would effectively be kind of cinema screens by way of the clockwork orange of, of locking a mouse into place oh. so all it can see is a thing in front. This is not pleasant stuff to talk about. I mean, we were being violent before, but this is this is icky on a completely different level. Mouse experimentation is like that, unfortunately. What they're doing is developing instead VR headsets with the theory being that they will get more immersion, which means they'll get a more accurate reading of those um, synapses in their brain and therefore get better research data. So you can put... The yeah, best way that. I know how to describe the, the pictures that have been released is it sort of looks like sort of two bottle caps that sit over the eyes, even though the eyes face outwards. Um, and through that, they can supply a whole bunch of stimulus like a hawk chasing you to measure emotional and physical responses. Is it, to tell, me if, tell me if I'm getting like halfway close there, Meg. Yep, that's exactly what it is. It's just, it's, I, I am so uncomfortable about this. And like, and reading the article was absolutely horrific, but we will talk about it anyways. Um, yeah, they are, they are testing flight and fight responses of these mice because previously they would put them on a treadmill and make them run. But what they realized is that the, the mice could still see things around them and they were realizing they were on a treadmill. So now they're just going to fully enclose them in them, in these goggles and make them feel like like they are being chased by hawks and other things and see what that does to their brains so that we as humans can find out. So I think obviously there's a conversation here about animals and how we use animals to, to test things. I think that that's sort of a big conversation and I, mm -hmm. I, I think it can be its, its own thing uh, and it is certainly a debate worth having. But then there's also the use of this particular technology on them. Is there any sense that it gives them anything unique that they could not have gotten through the testing that they have done with these particular animals for time immemorial. I couldn't, that's where my problem is, is I can't, this seems extreme, right? Like take, yes, what you just said, exactly. There's two conversations here. What I was reading in this article, I don't understand why we need to be doing this type of testing. The experiments, at least as has been reported, show that the mice react exactly the same way with VR goggles than they would if they were actually being chased by uh, an actual hawk. And if nothing else, it proves uh, that virtual reality has reached a stage, at least with mice, where it's quite convincing, Alex. Yeah, and look, I think the point here is about the accuracy and immersion of that data and then how we can relate that to this is this is not so much to the best of my understanding to do with either scientists hating mice or scientists wanting to learn new things about mice per se it's how we relate that to things like brain memory function in times of stress and how that might work with things like um, neurodegenerative diseases in human beings what that might look like and and look it is hard to get past the mouse experimentation side of this, but that's the intent here. The idea that, uh, that as Meg was saying, if you were just experimenting with them without this VR gear on, then they're looking around them. Perhaps their brains are not firing quite the same way. You don't have data that's quite as good so that when you come to develop a therapy or a treatment or a drug or whatever, maybe it's 20% less good than it was. I mean, that is the general uh, modus operandi for why you do this kind of animal testing is to try and get better results and ultimately kind of better medical outcomes, albeit not for the mice themselves. 
Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, and culture. Mark Fennell is my name. And when you buy a new car these days, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a set of keys. Increasingly, we get into our cars without keys. Instead, you use a little clicky thing. I'm sure there's a technical term. Let's call it a keyless technology, but I'm going with clicky thing. (laughs) As it has become more digital in nature, has it become easier or harder to steal a car, Meg. There's been a, a report found overseas that there's an increasing suite of technology, like a thing called an emulator, where you can use it to get into cars because it's become a digital process, Meg. Yes. Now, you're asking me this not because I have personal knowledge. You're just asking me this because it is my turn to answer a question I would like to clarify. I believe you to be a massive klepto, and I would like you to admit it on national radio. But also, yes, it was your turn. Yeah, so this is actually interesting, and I never thought (laughs) about it. Tell me more about your crimes. Yes, yes. So I've had keyless entry for years. I can't remember the last time that I didn't have a car with keyless entries, but I've never actually thought about that. The that yes, it's how much easier is it to hack your car now? Because everything is electronic. Everything's run by computer. But I was actually getting my car serviced the other day, and I have been told that I have to now pay to have the remote entry on my car. And I was like, well, that's kind of not cool. And he's like, but it is, because if you ever lose your car, all I have to do is call this number, and I can let you in. And I was like, well, that is fascinating. What you're saying is my car can be hacked by a phone number. I had never thought about this, like how easy. There's a point to my story, I promise. I had never thought. (laughs) I always trust that there is, don't worry. (laughs) I just had never thought about it. Like I guess, and maybe that's just my ignorance in it, but I just just assumed that it was just so, my my clicky thing was so (laughs) coded to my car and that there were the layers of security and that that it wasn't that easy to hack into my car and steal it. But apparently it really is. And in the UK, you can't get insurance or your insurance is out of control for it. Yeah, so I should say that this report does come from the UK where car theft in England and Wales, uh, at least in March last year, was at its highest level for more more than a decade. And a a part of the side issues of this, as you mentioned, is that uh, prices for car insurance in the UK are at a record amount. And yet... I was looking at the the numbers of, you know, the cost of buying some of these pieces of equipment that are allowing people to to get into cars relatively quickly. We're talking about £5,000. It's not, you know, it's not stunningly cheap, but it's also not stunningly expensive either, Alex. Look, it's not. I think the point to make here, and it is an important one, is this isn't every single car. Uh, These kind of key fob, keyless solutions have been around for ages, and it does depend on the age of the car and the technology that's used, because this uses what's called a relay attack. So typically what happens is you get out of your car, you go, right, I'm going to lock my car, you press a little button, your lights flash, and sometimes the car goes bip, and you know that the car has been locked. And what it's done there is sent a radio signal to the car that the car recognises. Now, for some models, especially older ones, that's an absolute fixed frequency, fixed thing. If you've got the kind of car where you can get a new key fob programmed by the same guy who does who, who cuts house keys in your shopping mall, you're probably one of those. If you're talking a newer car that perhaps uses a phone unlocking mechanism, for example, or has other tracking mechanisms within it, not so much the case. There's a fair bit more randomisation there. But you need someone effectively, not quite in the middle, not directly in between you, but within radio range to get that signal. So this isn't every single car. I mean, the the UK report, I think, was highlighting a particular model of Kia that was being stolen using these $5,000 systems. But again, you'd only have to steal, I suppose. And again, 
I learned my lesson from lots and lots of rental videotapes when I was young. I wouldn't steal a car either. I should, <laughs> but uh, but you wouldn't. Ha- you were, I suppose you wouldn't have to nick too many of them for it to actually be a profitable enterprise. Well, no, because uh, partially we're also talking about relatively new cars here, which one would assume are <laughs> worth more than you know the Datsun 980B out the back. <laughs> I mean, it, it is interesting because I it's that forever tension of like this is become more convenient, easier to access, and yet when things move into becoming more digital, it becomes a different attack surface, right? There are different ways Mm. in which it can be intervened, and the more remote access you introduce to technology doesn't inherently make it less secure, but it does create different challenges to its security, doesn't it, Meg? I mean, totally. And that's where, you know, the conversation with the service guy around the car was just fascinating because we did, we get into it about, you know, if you are locked out of your car in a remote situation, you've lost your keys. Again, me being the optimist, right? These are the good ways to get back into your car. We can use the phone to unlock it. And, you know, talking about the technology in the car where we're losing buttons because everything needs to be computer operated. And I'm like, yeah, but I like button so I can touch them when I'm driving. It's safer. I don't want my car to be hacked into. You hear the horror stories of, I don't know, Teslas or whatever, all these cars being hacked into. For me, as much as I love digital, not everything needs to be online. (laughs) (laughs) And finally here on Download This Show, have you ever gotten your phone really wet and then it stops working? And have you done that thing that we have long been told to do by YouTubers, which is put it in a thing of rice? Because apparently the rice sucks the moisture out and your phone works again. It turns out, Alex, Apple would really like you to not do that anymore. <laughs> They've actually yeah, well, look, published guidance playing, saying, please don't do that. Well, look, it's a terrible, terrible waste of the rice. It's a, it's a great <laughs> accompaniment to any given meal. And, and I don't see why the, the, people don't realise that. But more seriously, this was your classic response to the problem of phones, especially phones that didn't have some kind of IP rating for water ingress on them. Getting wet was the, oh, chuck it in a bag of rice, you've really got very little to lose. And way back in the day, to a certain extent, that was probably true, but it was probably true because the phone was already dead. Mm. <laughs> in those instances where the phone came good, then it was very much more the case that it would have done so if you just sat it on a windowsill for a while. All you've really done by putting in a bag of rice is risk a whole bunch of rice dust and anything else that might be in the bag of rice getting inside your phone, which is not a good idea. I, I love that they felt the need to publish advice on this. So, but like, How many people, like who got so mad, who finally straw was broken that they said, <laughs> okay, we're releasing advice on it? I've t- the thing is, I've done the rice thing and it worked. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that, but I've done the rice thing and it absolutely worked, but perhaps maybe it would have worked either way. They're also saying no external heat source of compressor, so don't put it in front of a hairdryer is what that means, uh, and do not, do not insert a foreign object such as a cotton swab or a paper towel. Instead, as you say, Alex, leave it in a dry area with some airflow. So basically, windowsill. One of the things that uh, I think is probably notable here is that as models, particularly of iPhones and other phones have progressed, they are increasingly able to withstand being wet anyway. Right, Alex? Yeah. So the thing that's funny about this just coming out now is that it's been a fairly long time since Apple's sold a phone that didn't have some kind of IP water ingress rating that theoretically couldn't survive dunking in lab water. That's what that IP rating is about. Now, if you drop it in your coffee, you've got an entirely different suite of problems to deal with. But I think it was like the original model iPhone SE. We're we're talking like 2016, I think, Mm. would be the last iPhone I can think of that wasn't IP rated for for water ingress. So 
I don't know how many iPhones there are out there. It's still good generalised advice, though, as is, of course, you know, perhaps trying to keep your phone as dry as possible in the first place. Don't go swimming with your iPhone. Uh, that's a weird point to end the show on, but it seems that's where we have to end it. Huge thank you to our guest this week, Meg Coffey, digital strategist. A pleasure as always. Thank you very much. And freelance technology journalist Alex Kidman. Thank you. It's been fun. If you enjoyed Alex, uh, make sure you check out alexreviewstech.com. My name is Mark Fennell. If you enjoyed the program, make sure you go to whichever podcasting app you peruse and you leave a review. And, of course, this episode and all of your favourite ABC podcasts are available right now on ABC Listen. I'll catch you next week for another episode of Download This Show. Until then, have a great week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.